that was really a key message for us for customers to understand that, yeah, look, the quality of the bike is fantastic. This is how we're able to save you, save you so much money. That is some great research and that is completely true. We've got a sponsored rider who's uh, like, he's got millions of viewers, but I will say that uh, I've got more views than him on TikTok at the moment. So, uh, so, so check it out. Welcome to Add to Cart, Australia's leading e-commerce podcast that express delivers all you need to know in the fast-moving world of online retail. Every week, Nathan Bush from eSuite and an e-commerce industry expert will share the news, research and insights that you need to know to keep you at the top of your game. And of course, keep your customers adding to cart. Hello and welcome to Add to Cart. My name is Nathan Bush, host of Add to Cart and director at e-commerce talent agency eSuite. Today's guest is the biggest retailer of bikes in Australia. But they still have a logo that was designed to match the wall colors of their old business. Joining me today is James Van Ruin, co-founder at Bikes Online, or Bicycles Online, as they have been known in Australia. Starting out as bike tour operators, James and his business partner, Jono, thought it might be a great idea to see if they can get bikes cheaper by buying them direct from the supplier. One container load of bikes and an eBay store later, Bikes Online was born. Today, They sell bikes to both the Australian and US markets and have 100 staff spread across every continent in the world. In this chat, James shares how they've been able to create a direct-to-consumer advantage and maintain it with strong supply relationships, even as competition has increased. We also discuss James's tips for expanding into the US, how to snap up bargain domain names, great story in there, and why one of his proudest moments was when one of his team members bought their own house. Make sure that if you are a bike head, you stick around until the end because James has given Add to Cart listeners a very generous $50 off any bike purchase at Bicycles Online. So thanks to our partners, Shopify Plus and Paclio, here's our conversation with James Van Ruin, co-founder of Bikes Online. James, thanks for joining us on Add to Cart. Nathan, lovely to be here. So good. You're a late minute call up for your co-founder, John I. That's it. The super sub, John, I couldn't make it. So uh, ha- happy to join. No, it'll be great. All right. So I have to ask first up, doing my research, I'm coming across bicycles online and bikes online, both great brands. What are we talking today? Yeah. So it's probably easiest just to refer to it as bikes online. We, we started as bicycles online and then, uh, you know, for a myriad of different reasons, may- mainly due to some cyber squatters, we weren't able to sort of have a consistent consistent brand initially. And so we are actually transitioning across to the Bikes Online brand for Australia as well now. Oh, okay. So one site internationally. That's right. How did you go about getting that domain? Bikesonline.com, I can imagine that wouldn't have been easy to uh, get off someone else's hands. You know, we were super lucky. We've been pretty active over the last over the last 10 years trying to find the right domain name. And actually, we picked it up for a thousand bucks. And, no uh, way. Yeah. So um, we were super lucky, met a lovely guy, and he was great. So, you know, getting that right domain name has been, been pretty tricky. We've, we've sort of been, we had other guys that wanted percentages of the business to sell us a domain name. We're like, yeah, no. So, uh, yeah, no, luckily we've got bikes online now, and that's, that's a pretty strong domain name for us. So it was just a one on one kind of reach out and arrangement. It wasn't done through like any formal kind of 
no broker, broker, no, no official, anything like that. We, uh, we we reached out to someone and uh, who, who owned it, and uh, you can actually do that. It, it's it's pretty easy to do through the Whois lookup, and uh, that was the way we did it. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and a couple of cases of beer as well. So <laughs> worked, worked out well. Thousand bucks and a couple of cases of beer. I think you got a pretty good deal. I think so. Now you've recently celebrated your tenth birthday. Congratulations! Thanks. What's been your proudest milestone to date? Yeah, so I was in the US just a couple of weeks ago and uh, it was the first time I'd been to the US really for two and a half years. You know, we started the US three years ago and to go there and then suddenly see, you know, the whole team, we changed offices, we've got a big warehouse and to meet the team, it was really pretty special to be able to see how the team had been able to grow over this time without either John or I being, being there. So, I mean... They probably did better than if, if we were were to be there, but uh, yeah, no, that that was really special. You know, there's there's been a lot of great moments over, over the last ten years. I think the other one that I really liked as well was we had a one of our early staff members. She actually purchased a house, and both for Jonna and I, it was a pretty special moment because it's one thing to be successful, then it's a completely other thing to then be able to sort of empower your staff, enable them to be successful. So when she bought bought her house, it was a real moment of pride. And uh, look, the house is in Tasmania, so I don't know if that counts, but uh, no, we're, we're really happy for her and, and really happy that Bikes Online can be this vehicle that, that, that people can live great lives through. Do you ever work out so hard and so much that you just crash? Yeah, I really feel your pain. But what's worse than a post-workout crash? A website crash, especially during Black Friday. This was the experience of the team at Muscle Nation before they replatformed over to Shopify Plus. Before Shopify Plus, their website would crash with 80 visitors. Fast forward to 2019 Black Friday on Shopify and they sold over 70,000 units in the first hour of Black Friday and sold $4 million worth of stock over the entire sales period. That's some serious flexing going on. To read more of Muscle Nation's story and to see other case studies, visit the customer section on shopify.com.au forward slash plus. I know that you call your team gearheads. So have you got it set up as a remote workplace, especially so people can live that passion of biking? Yeah. So look, we have a pretty flexible working environment. So we have a team in Australia, we have a team in the US, and we also have a team in the Philippines. And uh, actually, the Philippines is, is pretty close to my heart. You know, we actually work with a with members of a mountain biking community in the Philippines. And so it's, it's quite interesting because, you know, I think sometimes offshore call centers and that sort of thing can get a bad, bad reputation, but it's quite funny because our customers will ask a pretty technical question and, you know, our staff will be up. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean with that derailer <laughs> being a 12 speed and you need to adjust the jockey wheel. You know, they know their stuff. So yeah, look, we've got a pretty spread out team we've got about 100 staff across actually all continents now wow that's amazing how do you test whether your team are actually passionate about bikes before you bring them into the business 
uh, I don't know if it's so much a test as a desire from their side. Like the bike industry is definitely one that's a, it's a passion industry and it certainly helped us attract great talent as well. So there is definitely a lifestyle component to it. And uh, yeah, there's no, there's no tricks or anything about whether they're interested in bikes or not. People are just generally pretty keen to keep involved in that passion. Pretty special when you can bring your passion and your job together. That's it. Definitely. Was it hard during COVID? Obviously, you've had this great expansion into the States and for yourself and Jono to be stuck here in Australia. How did that feel while all that growth was happening in the US? It's hard. You know, I think setting up overseas in a regular environment is difficult, let alone during COVID, you know, and there's, there's challenges, you know, people are working from home. There's huge supply chain challenges. There's huge growth in demand as well. So you're really being pulled in a whole bunch of different ways. And so uh, I think to be able to come to come out of it the way that we have is, is something I'm really proud of. Yeah, great. And did the US experience a similar trend in terms of demand for bikes during that COVID period? Yeah, look, what's happened in the bike industry has been a global phenomenon. So we were basically just in a perfect storm in a way where there was a huge increase in demand. So people wanted to get out, people wanted to... No one wanted to catch a bus, right? So everyone was riding and then recreationally, that was really popular as well. And then on the, on the other side was online was super popular. So retail stores were closed. We were already the, the biggest in Australia and so we definitely noticed that increase. And then there was a supply shortage. And so when you sort of combine all those things together and the fact that we had good supply, it was, it was a good time for us for sure. And was the good supply a result of all the work that you did before COVID or was it being able to work with your suppliers during COVID? You know, it's something that we have really been focused on since day dot. And so we're very closely aligned with one of the biggest factories based out of Indonesia. And that's one of the the main brand that we carry called Polygon. And uh, they've been really instrumental in helping us firm up our supply chain and work with us through this through this growth period. But you know, all those building blocks were in place prior to COVID, and and I think a lot of people were trying to get into the industry after that. But really, the only way to take advantage of it was you had to have everything in place. You mentioned that relationship with Polygon. Do you have any advice for people who are working with suppliers and looking to enhance that relationship to keep that supply chain steady and predictable? Any advice for other retailers, whether in the bike industry or not? Yeah, look, I see that supply relationship is critical. So for for us, Polygon's been huge and we've, we've really both shared in this growth experience We've helped them a lot in terms of their marketing, their product development. We work really closely in hand with them. And so it's definitely mutually beneficial. And the move into the US was very much a partnership as well. On the reverse side, you know, they've been given, been able to give us huge benefits in terms of, you know, not just supply, but things like terms of trade. And so, you know, having a trusted partner like that really makes, makes life a lot easier. And that relationship, did that come about organically? Was it something that was spoken about over years or was it a perfect timing that you're both looking for the same thing at the same time? It's like a relationship and good relationships take a long time to build. And that trust, it's a very traditional relationship in terms of 
so much is built on that handshake agreement on that and really on that belief that you you really have the other person's best or other company's best interest at heart and and we really do so it's been really a great part of the the growth story yeah brilliant speaking of the growth story do you mind if we go back to the start because if people aren't familiar with the uh, bikes online story it's really fascinating because you and John actually started out as bike tour operators before you we were retailers. Can you tell us about why you went from the tour world into the retail world? Yeah, sure. So, you know, we, we sort of started this bike rental, bike tour business about 15 years ago now, and uh, it was a nice little business. And every year we would replace the, the fleet of bikes, and we would just thought, these bikes seem super expensive. And we thought, why don't we go buy see if we can buy them direct from the factory. And uh, we actually approached a bunch of different factories, one of which was Polygon. And, you know, when we noticed just how reasonable and how much better value you could get out of buying direct, we very quickly realized that it's not just us that can benefit from the better value, actually everyone could. And so this was about the same time that Kogan was setting up and uh, so we set up an eBay store. We sold through the first container of bikes in, you know, in, in four weeks. And that was the start of it. How did you feel? I, I imagine you would have been nervous bringing a whole container of bikes into Australia for the first time. Yeah, it was. And look, both John and I are fairly conservative. And what we realized is that look, if they didn't work out, we would put the bikes into the fleet of the rental business. And so we always had that. We try to always have some sort of backup plan just in case things didn't work out, but uh, we very quickly ordered more containers for sure. Makes sense. And how long did you stick around on eBay for? We stuck around on eBay for years. So it, it became a really important part, especially with lead generation. These days, it's, it's changed for us now. We're, we're much more focused on the entire customer journey. And I mean, eBay, I think it's brilliant business. We still do a little bit of business on the parts and accessories side, but uh, really you want to take your customer and our riders through a journey that's really managed well for that educated, considered purchase, which is a bicycle. You obviously knew bikes and you knew riders pretty well from your time doing the tours and the guides. What if you can cast your mind back to those early days of selling bikes online, what were the hardest things for you to get your head around in shifting bikes online? I think that the hardest challenges at the beginning for us were actually ones that still exist today. And bikes are just not a category of product that people are traditionally used to buying online. And so we really had to convince you know, customers, it was okay to buy online. And, uh, and so that's been a big, really a big challenge for us for, for a long time. And I think that's what's changed recently is the understanding that it's not so much that we can have an equivalent experience to an in-store buying experience. You can actually have a better experience online. And there are so many things that you can do and you need to do. If you are going to be buying, you know, an expensive bike, you know, you want to do your research, you want to have the options, and there's a lot of things that you can do online to be able to de-risk, well, at least that perceived risk, reduce that perceived risk for the customer. And so, uh, yeah, I feel we're getting getting better and better at it, but it, yeah, it's a constant uh, challenge for us. 
Do you remember any of the improvements that you did online that really kind of broke a barrier in de-risking the purchase for a customer? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, we realized we needed a very flexible returns policy, which is what we still have now. And so we want customers to be happy with the bike that they've got. If they're not happy, then it, it's no good for us. And so what it does is it doesn't just de-risk it for the customer, knowing that they can return the bike. What it does as well is it keeps us on our toes. And customers know that because whilst it might be a bit annoying for a customer to get a bike delivered and then we pick it up and then they, it, that might be a bit annoying, but it's very expensive for us. Mm. And so we constantly look to improve the whole experience so that customers really are delighted with, with the product. Yeah. How do you use that data and the feedback that you get from returns or customer feedback post-purchase? Do you pass that on to the wider team, even into your supply chain as well? Oh, yeah. And that's, I think, the key to business. And you need to continually improve and improve that process. And that's what we focus on. And we actually have our heads of departments are very closely aligned with the customer and those stages of the customer journey to make sure that we are constantly improving and they understand what those pain points are for the customer. What's fascinating about your site, and if anyone logs on, you can see it, is that you are so clear and precise around your messaging around that you deliver direct-to-consumer pricing. And I haven't actually seen it put that way before. Obviously, we as e-commerce nerds know direct-to-consumer language, but I've never seen it put in customer terms before. Do you think customers understand the benefit? Obviously, they do if you've got it up there of direct-to-consumer pricing. And it has it become harder to maintain that, you know, 20 to 40% cheaper price with more competitors online? So, to your first question, do customers let's say care. Some do and some don't. So really price is a big factor. You know, it's the one thing that the customers have to give up to get the product or service. And so when they still see that we provide great value, they are like fantastic. Some people don't question it. Other people will question the credibility of the product. And that was very true in the early days. So Polygon just as a quick backstory, Polygon produced bikes for all the major brands. They're a huge producer. And so the bikes are the exact same quality as what you'd get out of a traditional retailer. And so that was really a key message for us, for customers to understand that, yeah, look, the quality of the bike is fantastic. This is how we're able to save you so much money. <laughs> it's not because we're trying to de-spec the bike or anything like that. The product quality is there. It's the business model that's able to give you that value. Yeah. And that would have been a pretty new business model at the time that you launched it? Oh, for sure. For sure. And specifically in our industry, very new. So we were essentially one of the first to do it. And even today, there's there's not a lot of people doing it. It, it's, It's a lot harder to do it these days. And if you're an existing bicycle brand that's sold through stores, it's very difficult to then be able to convert to online because you still have these overheads of retail stores and additional staffing and, and all those other things that go with it. And to your point is, are we still able to provide you know, those cost savings? And we certainly are because those brands still have those additional overheads. And so 
we're able to cut out the middleman and no one likes the middleman, right? <laughs> so, yeah. He's not a popular guy. <laughs> He's not. You've refreshed your website. The new range is about to drop. You've never had more customer service options. Hey, but take a look over there at that boring pile of packaging boxes. Ugh, ugly. Time to give that some love. Luckily, Packlio is here to bring some joy to your customer's delivery and unboxing experience. It's been ignored for way too long. With vibrant colors, cool designs, and eco-friendly credentials, there are no more excuses for boring boxes. Even better, Packlio is Australian-owned and operated with same-day dispatch and 14-day returns. There's nothing boring about that. Check out the Packlio range of e-commerce packaging options at packlio.com. That's Packlio, P-A-C-K-L-E-O, packlio.com. Do you find that there's a lot of loyalty in the biking world in terms of people being loyal to bike brands or bike retailers? I would say that compared to other product categories, what makes the bike industry different is that a bike is made up of a whole lot of components similar to a laptop. So when you look at a typical bike brand, they make the frame, but they don't make the wheels, they don't make the brakes, they don't make the gears, they don't make the saddle. So all of those are assembled by that bike brand. And so there is probably less brand recognition in the bike industry as opposed to the components. So similar to a laptop, for example, right? So a laptop, you'll recognize, oh, wow, it's got Intel, you know, it's got NVIDIA, or it's got, you know, these sorts of things. And, and what sort of speaker system does it have? The actual name on the laptop is not as important. Of course, it does have it does have some importance, but uh, that is perhaps the difference compared to a regular product. Yeah. And as a generalization, my perception of real bike enthusiasts is that there is a real attention to detail and wanting to know every little bit of detail. It's almost like this engineer mindset of being able to put it together. Is that a curse or a positive for you? <laughs> I look, I, I always think that's benefit. I think educated customers is, is fantastic. It's also not the entire market. You know, we, we sell kids bikes, you know, we sell commuter bikes. We really sell that entire range. And perhaps at that sort of mid range, you know, customers don't quite have that same desire to know all those details. They want to know they're getting great value. They want to know they're going to have a great, great time on the weekend. And I think that's really where we fit in, you know. There is a real high-end enthusiast market in the bike industry. And actually, those that's less about value. It's more about brand perception and, and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Now, can we go to the branding? Because I want to verify a story that I read when I was doing my research. I read an article which says that you came up with the, the Bicycles Online at that point, the Bicycles Online branding and the colour scheme to match the fit-out that you had in the old rental business so you didn't have to change the fit-out. Is that true? That is some great research and that is completely <laughs> true. So the original business, if anyone wants to look it up, is called uh, Manly Bike Tours and, you know, it basically had the same blue and white. And so uh, we saved on paint, essentially. We retained the same, the, the same colour. So, uh, yeah, still seems to work for us. So That's great. I yeah. love it. Good research. That is true, a retail mindset right there. Yeah. 
And now, so going forward, obviously, we talked about having the dual sites coming together under the, under the one URL and one brand in the future. From your expansion into the US, one thing I did notice on the US is that there's a big, big photo of you and Jono, you know, with an American flag behind you, you know, very proudly. Here we are. What have you noticed around the differences that you've had to take into the States around your messaging and brand identity? Yeah, sure. So I don't know if this, uh, there's been a big rain, rainstorm just come through. So if the feedback's too much, no problem. We're all good. At least it's not a good, good time to go cycling. That's it, right? It's a good time to talk to you. So, <laughs> you know, to your question about the US, the US has been a fantastic journey for us. And in terms of what the differences, there's some that you would expect and there's some that you just simply, you know, left us dumbstruck. So first one, you mentioned it, right? Incredibly patriotic. So their flags are everywhere. The flags outside of our office as well. And so that's an important point. The differences between Australia and the US, however, go a lot deeper. Australia is a very much a winner-take-all market. Mm-hmm. It's a small market. You need to be highly efficient. You need to be very competitive. That's how the Australian market is, certainly in the bike industry. Is that just due to size of the Australian market? Yeah. You know, the Australian market is, is a good market in the bike industry, but it also has more than 350 brands servicing you know, 25 million people. It, and, you know, we just don't have that many people. So not just customers, but also employees. And so you have to be very efficient. That dynamic doesn't exist in the US. It is not a winner-take-all market. It is such a big market that it's made up of lots of different markets. And so, you know, one of our biggest competitors really just operates in Florida. Mm. You know, and... A lot of people actually said to us when we're going to the US, look, just pick one state. Look at that. Even online, just pick one state. But we're probably a little bit overambitious and we're like, no, we're going to do the whole thing. Look, it's worked out well for us, for sure. And the efficiencies that we've gained in Australia certainly have applied in the US. You know, we sort of joke when we say that, that people ride bikes in Australia the same way they ride them in the US. Mm. So... You know, the business model that works here also works well in the US. Some of the other things we just weren't expecting, you know, in the US, the freight side of things, shipping, you would expect they would have that down pat. We actually find it's actually much more expensive uh, mm. shipping in the US. Yeah, whereas, uh, yeah, Australia doesn't have that. Australia has a higher concentration, you know, amongst the capital cities, but the US is so spread out. So that's, that's one of the challenges. Do you have your own warehouses or use a 3PL in the US? Uh, we have both. Both. So we have okay. our own warehouse and 3PL warehouses. Yep, yeah, okay. And why do you think it's more expensive? Because it is a, you're, you're spot on. It's a preconception that a lot of people have that, you know, fulfillment will be a lot easier and cheaper in the US. The reason we've noticed is the big players have such a monopoly over, over the distribution networks. There's really, you know, there's FedEx. TMT, DHL, like, and those guys have such huge demand online and shipping is under such huge pressure at the moment. So that's how they're able to uh, increase their prices. I think that simply they make more money. Yeah. And it's been fascinating to watch, obviously, from an external perspective. We've seen, you know, lots of news around those shipping providers increasing their pricing and reducing their thresholds of what they'll carry. 
that's it, you know, and bikes aren't that easy, right? It's not, it's not their highest, highest, uh, first choice. One of the things that we often get when we, when I ask the question of founders and leaders in e-commerce here in Australia is what's next for your business? A lot of them are saying our next step is the US and it seems like the next logical step. What advice would you have for founders who are at that stage of, I've done pretty well in Australia, we've got this set up, we're comfortable with the processes, we've got a good market here. For us to grow, we really need to hit the US. What advice would you have for them based on what you've been through? Yeah, I mean, I think the shorter answer is to do it. You know, simply do it. That idea of it's the, you know, sort of the land of opportunity is so true. You know, in our industry, it's 10 times bigger. And it is a lot easier to sell 10 bikes in the US for every one in Australia, you know. And so in other industries, you know, it's 17 times bigger in terms of uh, population size. So I'd really recommend people people get over and, and do it. It's, um, it's really that market size. Yeah, that's, that's where it is. That sounds a lot like we had Rob from Quadlock on a couple of weeks ago and his advice, you know, mirrored yours as well as like just, Try it, get over there, get started. Don't pre-plan it too much. Just get on. That's it. Beautiful. Now, I want to go back to the websites because we talked a little bit about bringing them together. You're on the Nido platform and obviously Australian born and bred here in Brisbane platform that's grown over time but recently got acquired by Maripost. Have you seen any significant changes, positive or negative, with what you're getting out of Nito recently? Yeah, so Nito since changed to Maro Post e-commerce cloud and it's been a great shift for us. So, you know, there's been a couple of different owners of, of Nito over the last few years, but Nito has been great. This, the acquisition by Maro Post has been great because it's now enabled them and us to have this North American focus. So they're based out of Canada, sort of trying to push Nito from Australia to the US from Australia is, is so much more difficult. And so having that additional resourcing and funding is fantastic. And, you know, Maripost is a great system because it's it's really a, a tier one ERP system. So for those who aren't familiar, basically everything is integrated into one system. So some of the other cloud-based e-commerce systems, you have a lot of plugins, a lot of APIs being pushed and pulled and it makes it more difficult. So for us, as a mid-sized business, it's good to have all that integrated into the one system. And we've been able to roll that out into the US. So it's basically a stamp, hit and repeat, basically. Yeah. yeah, brilliant. Now, I can't let you go without asking you yourself, what's your bike of choice and what do you ride? Uh, well, I rather, well, no, not embarrassingly, but I, at the moment I've got an e-bike and it's a prototype e-bike. So, oh, nice. uh, you know, e-bikes are certainly the, certainly the way the way of the future but this isn't uh, you know super fancy it's one that uh, it's more for the everyday person and want to make sure it rides well yeah great stuff all right james you've given us a little bit of insight into what's coming but we might get more out of you here what's next for yourself and bikes online look bikes online has and online in general i think has been focused around value you know that's probably been a really important point but it's changing now and, and COVID's sort of given us that big leap ahead and it's now much more about customer experience. And so it's the convenience, the service, the all those additional things that you can do online 
that you simply can't do out of a store. And I think that, yes, you need to have value. That's important. But now it's much more about customer experience. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And um, obviously lighting the way and showing showing Australian retailers how, how to expand internationally as well, which is great to see. James, people have heard this and want to get in touch. What's the best way for them to find out more about Bikes Online? Oh, I mean, certainly through the website. That's the best part. But uh, look, we're, we're on all socials as well, even TikTok. So, uh, yeah. Do you get on there it, yourself? Create any videos yet? Yeah, we, I have. I have. I would actually say we, we've got a sponsored rider who's uh, like, he's got millions of viewers, but I will say that uh, I've got more views than him on TikTok at the moment. <laughs> so, uh, so, so check it out. <laughs> the original influencer. That's it. That's it. That's <laughs> it. I'll do some dances soon. <laughs> great stuff. James, thank you for joining us on that Add to Card. Nathan, great to be here. Now, as promised, James and the Bikes Online crew have given Add to Cart listeners a very generous $50 off any bike. To claim your discount, head on over to bicyclesonline.com.au. That's bicyclesonline.com.au and add the code Add to Cart. All one word, Add to Cart, and your $50 discount will be applied. Maybe even check out those electric bikes that James was talking about. All right, here are the three biggest takeaways that I had from our chat with James. Number one, creating value exchange with suppliers. The Bikes Online model is based off the direct-to-consumer offer, which means that they need to develop and maintain relationships with suppliers. It was interesting to hear James talk through this because it didn't come off as a commercial relationship, but more of a mutual value exchange. Bikes Online help with marketing and product development, their suppliers help with new market development and innovation. This is obviously a really deep relationship that goes beyond transactions. Number two, being better through flexible returns. James talked about building trust for online customers, particularly with how hard it is to buy bikes online. One of the ways they've created this trust is through a flexible returns policy that obviously de-risks the purchase for the consumer. But more than that, it encourages the bikes online team to be better Because a return is the worst and most expensive result. For both the customer and the business sake, everyone wants to avoid those returns. It's a great motivator. What customer policies could you put in place to push you and really make you better? And the third one, I've called this you'll never know your luck, as in URL will never know your luck. Get it? I love the story of how James and the team acquired their prized domain name with $1,000 and a couple of cases of beer. These kind of domains that James has got are typically in the tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, is it worth a sneaky reach out to some of your ideal domain owners via Whois to see if there's ever any interest? You never know. To get the highlights of today's episode, head on over to addtocart.com.au and sign up for our free newsletter. Each Tuesday, we will send Monday's episode summary links and discount codes for you to go next level on and if you're looking to explore your next e-commerce opportunity come and visit us at eSuite. we're a dedicated e-commerce talent agency connecting the best e-commerce talent with the fastest growing brands in australia head on over to eSuiteTalent.com.au where you can download the free e-commerce salary guide and sign up to our weekly e-commerce job emails thanks for listening and until next time Keep those customers adding to cart.